Hello and welcome to the Eyes Wide Open Life podcast, the show where we thread the needle between science and mysticism and explore questions about life, consciousness, relationships, giving careful thought to what is causing us pain and discomfort as individuals and as a society, and what we can do about that while avoiding pseudoscience and spiritual junk food. Today is a short solo episode. I'm going to be releasing a few of these in succession. They'll be somewhere between 20 and 30 minutes long. I'm working on my book and I really want to crush that and get it done in the next couple of months. But I still want to share my thoughts on what's happening in our world and our lives. Quickly though, some very brief housekeeping. I've just changed hosting. The website is much much faster and more responsive and the Mail service for Eyes Wide Open Life Org is vastly improved. That said, I've been using a service called MailerLite as my provider for newsletters and mailers. It's an alternative to MailChimp, if anyone cares. And because of their their settings and the way they send mail, my newsletter to subscribers are getting sent to the spam folder. I've made efforts to address this by finding a service that's supposed to resolve the problem, but the surest way is to scan through your spam folder and train your mail client to trust emails from eyeswideopenlife.org. I'm doing the Quorum Alethea event next week with Sarah Alcaldi, which I would have said um, a mailer out about to a lot of people. If you sign up for the mailing list, you'll get discounts for these kind of events. So now for the upcoming event on the 18th, 19th, the reason I say 18th, 19th is it will be on the 18th for Sarah in in Los Angeles or in California rather, and 19th for myself in Western Australia. But it's one event and the date is found on the booking page. So check your local date time. The event will be myself and Sarah in a small online group talking about consciousness, awakening, what is meant by quantum consciousness, how much of our life is karma or destiny, and how much we can choose, what is our purpose, and answering your questions on these topics. It'll be a moderated event, and if you want to know more about that or are interested in participating, go to eyeswideopenlife.org website, and there is a link to the event on the homepage. Again, if you sign up for the mailing list, you will qualify for discounts for these kinds of events. Okay, that's it for housekeeping. Today we're going to be talking about the media spectacle that is the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial. Now, that's not a typical topic for me, but hear me out. If you aren't subjected to social media and mainstream media, that is the defamation trial between Johnny Depp and his ex-wife Amber Heard. These are two Hollywood celebrities. Heard had previously accused her ex-husband of assault and wrote an op-ed in the Washington Post alleging abuse. Now, for those of you who don't know what an op-ed is, op-ed stands for opposite the editorial page. It's usually a piece of writing typically published in a North American newspaper or journal or magazine or something like that, which expresses the opinion of an author which is not affiliated with the the newspaper or the magazine or the editorial board. Now, 
<clears throat> this sort of news is something I try and actively avoid. I'm not drawn by the salaciousness of the disclosure of what happened privately between two people in a dysfunctional relationship. I've had my own dysfunctional relationships in the past. I don't find the spectacle entertaining, but it really has inundated feeds in social media everywhere I look, and it's hard to not notice what's going on. <clears throat> now, as usual, I notice something other than what everybody else seems to be noticing, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. What I've noticed, well, the first thing is that I'm, I'm hearing from people who I wouldn't expect to hear from about this sort of news, weighing in and picking sides. I'm more interested in and concerned with the way in which people have gravitated towards this as an entertainment spectacle and what that means about us as a society. And secondly, the evident popular sentiment of the crowd, how the white male in this instance, has become the darling of the crowd, and what that means in the context of social justice movements, and my own area of concern, the ongoing and mounting breakdown of social order. From my perspective, I was still gathering my thoughts about the world's and my own government's handling of the COVID pandemic. And the absolute chaos the world has been thrown in around the ineptitude and ignorance on both sides of every argument around that pandemic, about which I've made my thoughts known in an earlier episode on this podcast called How to Think About the Pandemic, that was Season 3, Episode 2, which I released on the 10th of February. One of the main things the pandemic and the fiasco of the Trump presidency taught me is how people on either side of a political or moral line tend to weigh in and throw opinions around, many which age badly, and I realized there is a prudence, a kind of skill of waiting a moment, letting a new cycle do a full turn, and seeing the detail that emerges then, with a little bit of time passing, for and against every sort of position, and then form my opinion based on a wider scope of context and understanding. But I learned a lesson here. <clears throat> there is such a thing as waiting too long before speaking. I don't have a huge audience, but I have a consistent audience. And assumedly, they are sticking around to hear what I have to say about life and what is right or true about us and our journey through life. And I was still prudently practicing restraint. And then suddenly overnight, the pandemic was old news. And two weeks later on, on the 24th of February, Russia invades Ukraine, and everybody weighs in, and national landmarks around the world suddenly get backlit in blue and yellow, and the Russian bot army takes over on social media, and everything on social media boils down to the usual bullshit dichotomy of left versus right. And unbelievably, some Republican news anchors in the US and media celebrities are talking daily to a captive audience of millions about how... Vladimir Putin is justified and how he's the Christian West's answer to the godless Nazi atrocities being committed in Ukraine. And then Facebook becomes awash with thoughts and prayers. Just a quick note here, if you want to not sound <clears throat> ignorant about 
Ukraine, one of the things you can do is stop calling it the Ukraine. The Ukraine used to be a region of the Soviet Union. Ukraine means borderlands, but they also chose it as the name of their country and they became a sovereign nation. And referring to them as the Ukraine, incidentally, basically echoes back to them or that territory belonging to the Soviet Union. So it's Ukraine, not the Ukraine. Anyway, that's a side note. <clears throat> I again waited before speaking and, and, and arming myself with actual context and actual information. I shared a documentary on Facebook, which I might actually share the link to in the show notes here, which helped give me the context I needed to understand what was actually happening there. Now, if anyone's interested, write into me and let me know, and I'll tell you my thoughts about what I think is going on there and why it matters. And again, as you'll notice from this episode, it won't be the usual shallow A versus B, this is right and that's wrong. I'm trying to see past these issues. Obviously, I have a moral stance on them, but that's not really what I'm, I'm not trying to teach people what to think. I'm trying to guide people on how to think. <clears throat> So now, before I decided to speak about war and invasion and propaganda and the way we abuse and manipulate story to harness and justify our expenditure of energy for and against other people, the new cycle turned again. And I see that the public attention is like the eye of Sauron in the Lord of the Rings movie. It's this great lidless eye. And for a long while, it was darting this way and that, focused on Donald Trump and stolen election and Black Lives Matter and the Capitol insurrection and, and the pandemic and all of the, the drama and bullshit that got spun up around that. And then just like that, it swung without blinking and suddenly it was all about Russia and Ukraine and, for, and people forming ignorant opinions about NATO and sharing them emotionally and confidently on social media. And then without blinking on the 27th of March, it swung to Will Smith slapping Chris Rock at the Academy Awards. And then on the 14th of April, before anyone can catch their breath, <clears throat> before the new cycle can complete, Elon Musk announces his intention to buy Twitter. And then by the 30th of April, the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial has entered its third week. And at the time of recording this, we are just under midway through May. So I thought instead of waiting too long, <clears throat> let me share what I'm noticing that others don't seem to be noticing, why it matters and what it means to us in our timeline as we head towards what I believe is an unconscious sort of Armageddon. And just to be clear, I don't think it's the kind of Armageddon that's going to play out as per the revelations of St. John the Divine in, in the Christian Bible. I'm just borrowing the word because we all know what it means. We have a great instinct for revolution and tearing things down. We've learned rioting, cancelling, deplatforming as ways to express our unhappiness about things, which we have become confused into believing that these are viable expressions of democracy. As a society, we really have enshrined the merits of starting new things, of new beginnings. So we celebrate starting a new job, 
We get very excited when people become engaged, housewarmings, christenings of and births of babies, weddings, and so on. There's whole industries that have emerged around this. But as a society, we're very poor at managing our efforts, applying our energy and our talents into fixing what is breaking or repairing what's broken or reinvesting in things that are, are neglected. And we have absolutely none of that focus in how to process partings and the ending of things with grace. And this is something that has arrived hand in hand with our consumer culture. So with our iPhones, etc., we are conditioned to normalize replacing things, aching for the new, the novelty, instead of investing in and repairing what we already have. These are things that we should teach young people at school. Most things are repairable. But we're not teaching the example or leading the way. And we're not even noticing that we're being trained to do this. Something else we should teach young people, things that we did not learn well, is that some things are not repairable. And you are allowed to leave a friendship. You are allowed to leave a team. You're allowed to leave a job. We do not own other people. You're allowed to leave a relationship with your dignity and your reputation intact. We make promises from places that we stand at that moment. But people change. And we feel that our promises should hold us always to belonging to that relationship or belonging to that, that person. And... What we should be teaching young people and reminding ourselves of is we are allowed to let go of things that are too small for us, that we may have outgrown. And I think it's important to teach people that there is a grace to be learned in how to walk away from something. And there is a grace to be learned in how to let go of things, even people that want to walk away. And the reason we struggle is because we've been infected with false virtues. On the one hand, of not letting go or enduring something that is no longer serving us or for us. We got taught through pop culture and societal conditioning that perseverance and trying are proof of our humility and our character and prove what a loyal kind of human being we are. The other reason we struggle with endings is the feeling of rejection. When someone chooses to part ways with us, it helps to understand what rejection is. And rejection is one of the words I've unpacked poetically to get at the deep psychological meaning. And this is my unpacking. Rejection is the weighing in the scales, like the kind of scales you get at the markets to weigh your apples. Rejection is the weighing in the scales. On one side, your value to them. And on the other, their discomfort and finding your value wanting. Rejection is the weighing in the scales. On the one side, your value to them. And on the other, their discomfort. And finding their discomfort outweighing your value. Now, sometimes this stings because we feel our value has been diminished. 
but it just as easily could mean that their discomfort simply grew. And we don't understand that. And understanding that alone will help ease the sting when we are the ones that are being walked away from or we are the ones that are being asked to leave a team or a group or a relationship. We have all been in a situation where we have had to walk away from something, where we have been forced to reevaluate the value something has to us. In my work with individuals, this is a big part of the discovery and unlearning we cover. But this is, of course, exactly the same area of growth we need to undergo as a society. And this learned habit we have of breaking things, rioting, cancelling things that make us uncomfortable, picking a side and ridiculing the other side. This is something that we are seeing playing out in media and news cycles. Every group is splitting apart from every other group. And it's manifesting in our personal relationships as well. It never seems to matter what the context or story is. But regardless, we always find people nucleating into sides and taking pleasure in ridiculing and taking pleasure in the demise of the other side, the suffering of the other side. This is what happened with the pandemic. This is what happened with the invasion of Ukraine. This is what happened with SLAP, Will Smith and Chris Rock at the Oscars. This is what happened with Elon Musk and Twitter buyout. And now a particularly ugly side of humanity is showing its face around the Amber Heard-Johnny Depp trial that's in the media at the moment. What we're watching play out is a lot of money being spent to prove who was the victim. That's what's happening. We are watching a lot of money being spent to prove who was the victim. On the face of it, it seems Depp was accused somewhat unfairly and that the false accuser is now getting a public comeuppance. There's a feeling of justice that's happening. Below the surface of that is two people whose private lives are being aired publicly, something that any sane person would be deeply uncomfortable with. I would fucking hate for that to be me, because when I was in a dysfunctional relationship, I was most certainly not the best version of myself. And it was a very, very painful look back at what I, how, where I needed to grow, where I needed to heal, and the work that I needed to do on myself, the last thing I would want is that drag through the court of public opinion. And then in this trial now, at a deeper level, there is another thing happening, a pendulum swing that I want to talk to all of you about. And here is one of the strokes of this crux of the episode. So I've got two points to make, two points to shine light on so you can all notice it. The first is when we analyze the plot of every social justice epic that captured public discourse and our sense of sanity and attention for the past five years, from hashtag MeToo to Black Lives Matter to the animus behind the various arguments from the woke left, the antagonist of almost every season of that drama has been privileged white males. I noticed this arms race, this race to the bottom that social justice had built into it. The reason I have such low empathy for, not for the causes of social justice movements, but the way they are organized and expressed, is that there's no room for context 
and there's no room for apology or redress or repair. This is because value got somehow attributed to victimhood. And since context stands to water down victimhood or to undermine it altogether, context has to be ignored in that agenda. Similarly, efforts for the scorned villain of the piece, of every social justice faux pas, any effort that they make to regain the acceptance of the mob would undermine this victim-slash-scapegoat dynamic. What we don't realize is that in these situations, there's always a necessary scapegoat. Whether they're deserving or not is irrelevant. There has to be a scapegoat. And that the scapegoat is a modification, an unconscious modification of the Redeemer psychological archetype. In the Old Testament of the Bible, there's two main archetypes that come along. It's the Redeemer or the scapegoat. And in the New Testament, the the Christ figure is the is the Redeemer. The Redeemer comes to save us from our shame with love or power of some sort. And the scapegoat is something or someone the crowd chooses to pin all their discomforts and shame on. The crowd has devolved into factions in modern day, in the, in social media, in public discourse, on Twitter, in daily life. And the factions always disagree about everything on principle. They have to. So for one side, let's say in the question mark over Russia and Ukraine, Putin is seen as a redeemer. There there are otherwise intelligent people that are sitting with this crazy notion. Putin is a redeemer and Ukraine has to therefore be the scapegoat. And this is the same with Elon Musk seem as the redeemer or a scapegoat, depending on where you fall on the Twitter buyout concern. For a while, um, now Heard, Amber Heard has been seen as the scapegoat now for having made Johnny Depp a scapegoat earlier. We need to see this and notice it, and I'll tell you why. In this psychological pattern, you cannot have the scapegoat defending themselves or earning back any public empathy. They have to be driven out the village into banishment. Otherwise, the whole scapegoat effect does not work. Similarly, your redeemer, your chosen hero, they cannot cop any legitimate scrutiny because otherwise their shine as a redeemer, diminishes, and along with it, your chance of absolving yourself of shame. So just think about how Trump supporters play down his endless gaffes and indiscretions. Now, of course, this happens on both sides of the fence. I'm just using that as an example. I happen to think the man is a monster, but that's not really the point of this episode. As the earlier social justice movements broke out of the fringes and captured public acceptance and involvement and momentum. The perpetrator, the aggressor, the villain was always the white male. In the paradigm of the victim game, the more of a victim you can claim or prove to be, the more power you wield in that paradigm. To be clear, 
This is not to say there are not valid social justice concerns and victims of abuse and neglect that we should be making every effort to empower and protect. They exist. But when someone with purple hair is screaming at someone who is trying to have a respectful conversation with them, or if someone is being tried in the court of public opinion, a trial by media fiasco, this has to be considered to be the very opposite of justice. Even if the right thing is happening in that context, we are making a new injury, which was not done in a just way, obviously. Anyway, <clears throat> the point I noticed is that given the fact that victimhood is like a badge of merit in this style of social justice farce that has become normalized, it means invariably that there will be a kind of arms race, a competition between disadvantaged groups to prove who is the most legitimate victim. And even within a group, an automatic tendency of infighting, a tendency towards division, which I refer to as non-being, will always exist because it is a very egotistical, narcissistic, psychological model, the victim paradigm. And the main aim in this, in this victim paradigm is not social redress or justice. It is power. To be the biggest victim is to wield the most power in that paradigm. This is why social justice is so infectious and attractive <clears throat> to people who feel powerless. So the baton of energy and public attention in the sex and gender arena went from gay to trans and now ever more obscure and nuanced subdivisions who are the new victims. <clears throat> the baton of energy in the race arena went from black Americans to black people elsewhere to other minorities in America to Asians and every other marginalized immigrants are, are, are having their turn. Everybody is a victim. That doesn't mean, again, that, that the wrong thing didn't happen and wasn't allowed to happen and wasn't institutionalized at times. But just to be clear, if you had to take uh, anybody that was previously disadvantaged by, let's say, for example, white men, so women or um, anybody on the LGBTQ spectrum, any previously disadvantaged race, and you had to ask them, if there's some time in history they would prefer to go back to where they had more rights and more of a light of social concern was shone on their area of, of, um, of discomfort or injustice. No sane human being would choose another time other than now. And the one thing that that means more than anything else is there has been progress. There is an improvement. So, getting back to my point. Now, as this happened, this baton passing from one victim group to the next, <clears throat> with my philosophical hat on, what I noticed was, when the snake catches and begins to eat its own tail, we are near the end of a cycle. Everything happens in cycles. Everything happens in cycles. So I said, <clears throat> to whoever would listen at the time, as I watched the baton being passed on and on and on. This has been going on for years, by the way. I said, when the white male becomes the victim and the social justice victim scapegoat dynamic plays out with the white male as the victim and the darling of the crowd, we are at the end of a cycle. 
Now, as I pointed out, human beings and how we end cycles is not pretty. Johnny Depp is a white male privileged celebrity. <clears throat> That's not an assertion as to who's right and who's wrong. That's a fact about his social status. And he's widely considered the victim and is the, the epicenter of empathetic public sentiment at the moment. It's interesting to note, if you didn't already know, Amber Heard is a bisexual woman who previously, by public account, was the victim of physical and sexual abuse. My opinion is that a lot of angry, disenfranchised men are finding this cathartic. And anybody who's not noticing where the sentiment for this particular catharsis is coming from is being drawn along by the entertainment spectacle. <clears throat> the, there is a segment of like an anti-feminist movement called the Red Pull crowd. There is a segment of Jordan Peterson's cohort, the incels, the involuntary celibates, of men who feel unfairly punished by public sentiment through waves and waves of social justice beat-ups that have gone against them. And they are now, <clears throat> to some degree, understandably, identifying with Depp and taking pleasure at the public humiliation of Amber Heard and everything that that implies. <clears throat> Don't make the mistake of assuming I'm, I'm picking a side. I'm pointing out the dynamic that exists. To be clear, I'm not making any comments about who's right or who's wrong. What happened behind closed doors? I find the whole spectacle distasteful. And I'm old and intelligent enough to know that when entertainment enters a debate or a conflict arbitration of any kind, the outcome is based as much on sentiment as it is on truth. <clears throat> I'm more concerned in this context with the fact that we are at the logical end of a cycle that has burned its way through our collective psyches. And that should mean something to all of us. If we're at the end of a cycle, what comes next? <clears throat> the second area of concern I wanted to point out was that neither Depp nor Heard in any way seem psychologically healthy. This is the same with every one of those news stories. Will Smith is clearly struggling with some shit. Elon Musk is about as neurodivergent as they come. He's basically the poster boy for neurodivergence. I am neurodivergent. So before anyone gets upset and thinks that I'm suggesting there's anything wrong with neurodivergence, far from it. <clears throat> What I am saying is that a brilliant tech entrepreneur does not automatically make for a good fit for engineering social philosophy does not make a good fit for the redeemer of social norms and public discourse. We are children in, these, in respect of these issues. We are sitting with the tail of a donkey and we want to pin it, our simple tail, onto the nearest thing that looks or acts like a donkey. Elon Musk himself has an incredible quote around this. <clears throat> He says, The most common error of a smart engineer is to optimize the thing that should not exist. This could very well apply to Twitter and his Mars project. Trying to fix Twitter when we're not even sure something like Twitter should exist. Or trying to go to Mars 
when there is a much more pressing project right at our feet on how to unfuck the way we are treating the planet and how dysfunctional our society is at the moment. That's what I would be fixing. And to his his credit, I think his machinations around Twitter are an effort to restore public discourse. I just don't think he's the best person to make um, decisive uh, decisions around this. But very few people are at this point in time, so fair enough. Now, this idea of the most common error of a smart engineer is to optimize the thing that should not exist. This applies to our efforts to quickly resolve every social dysfunction with more dysfunction as we rush to assign redeemers and scapegoats. The herd and depth trial is a showcase of dysfunction on every level. A dysfunction of social discourse, a dysfunction of relationships, a dysfunction of how um, justice is practiced in our courts. We don't seem to notice this. We absolutely should normalize that mental health is nothing to be ashamed of. Sure, Jiddu Krishnamurti has a famous quote which I share almost every other episode. He said, it is no sign of good health to be well-adjusted in a profoundly sick society. And we have a profoundly sick society. So therefore, it should be no badge of of honor or merit to be well-adjusted. The only people well-adjusted in this are the chaotic trickster archetypes or sociopaths and narcissists. What we should also not do is keep unconsciously normalizing dysfunction. We're leaving a real mess to the next generation. Anyway, that's the 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 share that I wanted to leave you all with. As a reminder, I am doing the Quorum Aletheia event next week with Sarah Elkeldy. There's a few tickets left. If you want to know about that event, just go to the eyeswideopenlife.org website and there's a link to the event on the home page a reminder again i'm taking on clients to be clear i'm not a therapist or a coach i can recommend some good therapists and coaches but i am the person that coaches the coaches and mentors the mentors i'm going to play an audio clip from one of my latest clients so you can hear directly from them what the impact of working with me has had on their lives in a couple of weeks i'll try to share these week on week A reminder, these people are not actors. And the exercise of speaking about their private lives and struggles is not easy, so the audio is never production quality. But I think the endorsements speak for themselves. So just to be clear, the testimonial you're about to hear is one I got from a client after four hours of sessions together for a state of mental dis-ease, mental health dis-ease that this client was sitting with for over nine years. My name is Michael Chance. I'm um, an ex-army officer. I've um, been divorced. I've got two wonderful kids. I I live in Canberra and um, run my own project management consultancy, delivering projects in Canberra and nationally. The impact of seeking Rocco's counsel has been so profound for me that it's taken me over a month to accept it 
and to understand just how significant it is to my life. Um, I've always been seen as a person who gets the answers, a strong leader, a role model who gets results in most circumstances. Underneath that facade, however, I was overwhelmed by a mountain of guilt, shame and insecurity that had me constantly feeling anxious, unworthy, disconnected, angry and definitely not in control. I'm not sure what I would have, would have done if it, I had not reached out for Rocco's intervention. I was too proud or ashamed to reach out for this by myself. So through a recommendation, I started uh, on Rocco's alchemy course around Christmas time, and I now work directly with Rocco on repair and acceleration on a weekly basis, which is the best decision that I can remember making. Uh, Rocco's razor-sharp ability to cut through the, the BS and his honest, straight-talking um, and accountable approach has helped me to triage the severe anxiety issues I was facing, um, which were making my life entirely miserable. Uh, I'm now continuing to work on that acceleration and repair, and we're getting great results. The work with Rocco has helped me so much. It's given me confidence to lead my life, the freedom to exercise my power towards my chosen purpose, um, and that's a place I haven't occupied for a hell of a long time, perhaps ever. Um, I'm incredibly blessed to have been the beneficiary of Rocco's experience and teaching and can honestly say that my life is now separated between before I met Rocco and after I met Rocco. Thanks for being part of the Eyes Wide Open Life journey. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating and a review on your podcast platform of choice. It really does help. And I am working my ass off to get this podcast out to a wider audience. If there is something that you want to share or discuss, if there are things you want to hear me talk about more or less, if you don't let me know, I won't know. So please write in info at eyeswideopenlife.org. And other than that, thank you very much for your time. And I hope to have you back for future episodes. And until then, keep working towards that eyes wide open life. <music>